listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about blessings for gay couples. We hear a reflection on the incarnation, and we listen to a poem by Robert Suttle, The Nativity of Christ, read by Liz O'Neill. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How are you doing? How are you doing, Father Steve? I'm doing well. We yeah. reached the end of Advent here. That's right. We are uh, we're now in the Christmas season. We hope, schedule-wise, we had some delays in recording. We hope this will come out on uh, Tuesday after Christmas, or the 26th, we're hoping, and... Uh, we want to miss you, wish you a very Merry Christmas, mm-hmm. or a Happy Christmas, as the, as the Brits Happy say. Happy Christmas. And a Merry New Year. I mean, there, there's a sense in which that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, let me just say a little advertisement for Twelfth Night. Yeah, which will January be 6th. January 6th, uh, Saturday evening. The goodness of the incarnation, food, drink, poetry, a little bit of poetry, not mm-hmm. too much poetry. No music. Music, yeah. song. Uh, just a great. We get evening. to see the skills of our, all of our fellow parishioners. Absolutely, and uh, we do need to have you RSVP. So, so register online. There's no cost. We would ask for donations uh, to help cover the costs. But two times a year, the incarnation at Twelfth Night, which is the Epiphany when the manifestation of our Lord to the three wise men, and then also at Whitson when we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, mm. which. Uh, Two, two great times. We, we could do it every month, but uh, we do it at least twice twice mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. So uh, we're recording this, obviously, before uh, before it's released, as always. Uh, and um, this week in the news, we had a, a kind of a big thing come out from the Vatican. I'm sure by the time this comes out, it'll still be on people's minds. Um the the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, which is the old CDF and the old Holy Office congregation for the doctrine of the faith, right? Mm-hmm. The the office that Cardinal Ratzinger ran for twenty five years or something, or maybe not that long, but twenty years, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I think he started in eighty one. Yeah, and so twenty four years. Twenty four years uh, has issued uh, some. Uh, Guidelines on blessings for uh, individuals in irregular relationships, including the the thing that got the most headlines, I think, was the the couple gay couples. Well, and, and you're a great person to have not just on the podcast, but you you're kind of the point person for the diocese. You and Bishop, and I'm sure David Carey may have been involved in the crafting of of the. The statement. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the title of the document offhand? Um, Fiducia Supplicans. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like most Vatican documents, that title is just taken from the first few words of the of the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. So, is there a, a initial? summary that you'd like to give it, or, or why don't? Uh, yeah, I was thinking that you. Given the fact that you're the point person, oh, would be, okay, would be good to to do that. Yeah. So to understand the context of this, there's a there's a lot that's been going on in the last few years around this issue of blessings for gay couples. 
And uh, this has really been an issue that's been coming up because in some of the Germ- European Germanic countries, they've been moving forward with liturgical rites of blessing. And so this is the synodal way in mm-hmm. Germany and then also I think in Belgium. In Belgium well. and I think in Sweden uh, or Switzerland, sorry, uh, they were doing this. And uh, Pope Francis has been very clear on multiple occasions that they are to stop doing this. Um, but they're basically just ignoring him and just moving forward. Um, in 2021, the... On February 22nd, the chair of St. Peter. The chair of St. Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the CDF, or I think it was the, still the CDF, CDF at that point. They changed the name. But uh, basically guidance came out that you may not bless uh, the union of uh, two homosexuals um, because God does not bless sin. And we cannot. And we, we cannot. cannot. We cannot bless sin. And so uh, that, I think, was meant to, to settle the uh, the issue, but it, of course, did not. Uh, it came up quite a bit, I think, in the, the Synod on Synodality. And uh, a dubia, uh, a series of questions that Cardinal Burke and some other um, bishops had, had put forth to the Holy Father this summer as well. Uh, and so um, Cardinal Fernandez, the new prefect of the, the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, issued this document. Uh, in his words, to try to develop f- further uh, the ideas that were referenced in the prior documents, uh, specifically... In line with the thinking of the Holy Father, yes, right? The, yes. the pastoral priorities of Pope Francis, which are openness and mercy, and uh, I think if I'm not unfairly characterizing, uh, without obsessive concern about matters of doctrine. Mm-hmm. That may not be a... F- perfectly fair gloss, but I, I do think that that's the sense that I get from Cardinal Fernandez is this idea, yeah, we care about that, but we've cared about it too much in the past, what is morally right and wrong and true, and we need to be open to the, the Spirit's movement to develop our pastoral sensibilities to sure. welcome and accompany. Yeah, I, the document in paragraph 25 explicitly says that our pastoral praxis cannot be... Um, uh, we have to shy away from our pastoral practice being overtly tied to strict doctrine, which and, we can, and can comment can we, can on we, that. Yeah, can we just say that on that point, uh, well, so I don't forget, um, that Cardinal Ratzinger, when he was um, prefect of the CDF, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, said that uh, nothing can be truly pastoral unless it's true. So that sense of yeah. truth and pastoral sensitivity have got to be uh, handed in. Yeah, my my response when I read that was, what is pastoral practice if not a practical application of our doctrine? That's right. If it's anything but, we start to get a little schizophrenic. And and that's why we get the kind of almost uh, euphoric reception of this Declaration sure. by those who are progressive in their sensibilities around sexual matters. So, just uh, the last few things uh, mm-hmm. uh, to summarize what this uh, about this document. It, it has, um, I think, very explicitly uh, says it's intending to develop or change 
something in our uh, approach here to blessings. Uh, my experience of reading the document is it wasn't um, it wasn't uh, initially clear what exactly was changed. Uh, I think on further reading and, and conversation with other people that are familiar with the theology, the the distinction between liturgical blessings and what the document calls spontaneous blessings is really the change. Uh, the theology of the, the two. Because in practice, I think most people read who are who are familiar with the, the just normal life of being a Catholic, most people are familiar with the idea of you see a priest, you ask him for his blessing on your rosary or just see him in the airport, Father, can I I'm your, traveling, would you give yeah, me a blessing? Uh, those kind of like in the moment, just kind of spontaneous, that happens all the time. And right. so uh, to see a description of that in this document, that's not a change. Um, maybe our theological understanding of that spontaneous blessing, its relationship to a sacramental or liturgical blessing, maybe that's what they're talking about that has changed. But um, as I said to one interviewer earlier when when he, I was asked about this, <clears throat> four days ago before the document was, was published, if a gay man asked a priest for a blessing, a random priest and a blessing in an airport, he would have gotten it. Well, having said that, if two gay men came up to me and said, uh, would you give us mm-hmm. a blessing? I would say... There might what, be a follow-up what's, what's, question. Yeah, what, what's, yeah. What's, what exactly do you want me to bless? Yeah. And this is the thing. I can, I can bless... I bless everybody indiscriminately at the end yeah. of Mass, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, we, we do bless. But Father James Martin, who is... Uh, carrying a torch for matters LGBTQ, mm-hmm. et cetera, uh, is saying, people say nothing's changed. And you're right, kind of on... On the terms ground. Of the, on, on, on the, in terms of what is the churches saying that same-sex marriage is now possible? No. Can you give a spontaneous blessing? Can you give a, a, a quasi-union uh, prayer? Liturgically, no. But you could, could a gay couple say, uh, on August thirteenth, we'd like to have a spontaneous blessing, Father? Could we schedule that? I think this is. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so I think this is what is going to happen, and this is what James Martin says: If you say nothing has changed, yesterday I couldn't do it, now I can, and and that's the problem I think with what has happened. There may be a good motive. Uh, in terms of opening things up and creating space to, to a company, I am concerned as a pastor that what a crack has been put in uh, the the consistency of pastoral practice mm-hmm. aligning with the truth, yeah. and that wedge has been driven deeper by this document. It seems to me. Yeah, I, and I would I would be quick to say that I don't see anything in this document that contradicts the 2021 document that says the union of the two men in that case cannot be blessed. Uh, so what, it, what's, the, what's the point? And this, this is the question, right? What's the point of some not blessing the union? I mean, people have said, 
can we bless the mafia? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good things in the mafia, mm-hmm. but there's some bad things. So are, are we blessing people qua members of mafia? No, no. That, that's the problem. Yeah. And, and I, I do think that uh, what will happen in some places, and in fact, in Austria, I don't know if you saw that news, that, that Austria, uh, whether it was in an archdiocese or a diocese, I don't think it was the Episcopal Conference, uh, was saying that if two men or two women or others in irregular marriage uh, want a blessing, a priest cannot say no. Yeah, I did see that. And that seems to to go against the spirit of this document as well, because I haven't done an actual word count, but it was my impression that at least a dozen times the word spontaneous was used. The, the, The vision for this really is in the moment. And so when you've got Father James Martin <clears throat> scheduling a blessing with two men and inviting the New York Times over to his apartment to cover it, it doesn't really seem like it's in the spirit of what this document. I don't think this is a is a perfect document. I, I don't want to come off as Pollyannish about it. But at the well, same time, your, I want to be... Your f- job. I, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> that's and, my as, job. As, as representative <laughs> does, that, that's your job. It's, it's the bishop's job, too, to, to make the most positive read on it. I just want to be realistic about it. And I want to say, listen, I, I, I think that there's some legitimate questions that get brought up with this document. But at the same time, I also want to be clear. The document is very specific in, in certain circumstances of what this cannot be. And inviting the New York Times over to your apartment to, to, to write a story about it, I think flies in the face of the intended spontaneity. Well, the, I, think, I think you are absolutely right. What I am sad to report is I do not expect that Father James Martin will be corrected for that. Uh, no, I don't think so either. And, and so that's the sign yeah. of the times, okay? Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that once this spontaneous blessing, we get kind of used, it's about a normalization of irregular sexual relationships, whether those are homosexual or they are polygamous. It is a regularization of those things. And what's going to happen? It, it's already happening. It, there's a de facto schism that is going to move forward. Dioceses like in Kazakhstan, archdiocese is saying priests are not free to do this. Now, what, what, what ends up happening? We're trying to be pastorally sensitive. And, you know, I was talking to some priests last evening, and they were saying their concern is uh, once this has been possible, that you can bless uh, gay couples spontaneously, however you want, if we let somebody go for being in a same-sex union from our jobs or from mm-hmm. an employer in a parish or a school, mm-hmm. we used to be able to look to church teaching to protect us just there. But it now certainly this, gets will, more complicated. This, this will open us up to potential uh, violations of civil rights laws. Mm-hmm. It used to be the church was protecting. And so I, I'm... I'm I'm not overly fearful, but I think we need to, to proceed with our eyes wide open about what is possible and perhaps even likely in, mm-hmm. uh, in response to this. But just to, to follow up on the point you made about the Bishop of Austria, <coughs> saying that priests don't have the freedom to say no, I think also violates what this document is saying. Well, it, it also responds, I, I can say no to, would you please give me your blessing? Yeah. 
I, I don't have to give you a no, blessing. No, yeah, there right? needs to be freedom on the, on right? the side of the right. priest. Right. Are I mean, you just robots? If you come for a blessing, I'll give you a blessing. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> Father Steve has been always been very generous with the blessings. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, we have to be able to be clear-minded about the way this is going to be interpreted and received, but also what it actually says. Because if we are not clear about what the document actually says, I think we actually add to the, the, the wave that's pushing this in one direction. Uh, there needs to be somebody that's kind of like can stand stalwart enough and say, well, no, that's not what this document is allowing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So people mm-hmm. worry that we can't trust the magisterium anymore. We can. Mm-hmm. This is very shrewdly written. Mm-hmm. And so it needs, to be shre- it needs to be shrewdly interpreted. That's right. So it's shrewdly written so as not to do what we say we cannot do, which is to make a fundamental change in a moral teaching. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when a document ever says we need to guard against scandal and confusion, you can be absolutely certain that the document is going to cause scandal <laughs> and confusion. Uh-huh. I mean, let's not pretend that there are not people within the church, perhaps even in the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith, who want us to change our teaching. We heard it at the um, Synod on Synodality. Even the general relator of the Synod on Synodality sure. said the church's teaching is out of date. We need to update it. He is wrong. He is wrong. Yeah, we've got American cardinals that are saying that. And so people who are worried that we might go the way of the Anglican church, don't. Uh, they're not irrational for seeing a certain trajectory. Now, I will say this. If there's a declaration later on that says priests can, in fact, this has not been the case, but if something in the future says priests can bless in a quasi-liturgical, the union of, of a, two men or two women or three people, that is going to be temporary. Mm, yeah. It will not perdure. No. Because it is a corruption, not a development. Mm-hmm. And all... We are we are in a church that is yes protected by the Lord, but is uh, served by me and other priests and bishops and deacons and and cardinals by men who are weak and flawed. Jesus said, and, the, infall- "Not not they're fallible." Yeah, fallible. Jesus said that the the um, the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, but he did not guarantee that particular moments in the history of church would not be without struggle. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty common at these at this time for people to look back at the the controversies of the fourth century with Arianism, and, and more than half the world's bishops were were heretics at one well, point. And we've we've talked about this before. This really is modernism mm-hmm. uh, brought to twenty twenty three. Sure, it started in the late nineteenth century. We're in basically one hundred and fifty years. That's about the same amount of time that the Arian controversy existed. Sure, so. I see this, frankly, as a way that modernism and its defendants and advocates will come to the fore mm-hmm. and perhaps seem to win. Mm-hmm. It seems so, yeah. but they will not win yeah. because the Lord cares about the truth and he cares about uh, the people who 
are guided by the truth. One commentator was saying that uh, Christian anthropology is so fundamental and what it means to be married, male and female, is so fundamental that the Lord did not pick something from creation and say, yeah, I'll be like the bridegroom and the church will be like the bride. No, man and woman were modeled on an image that Christ himself incarnated Mm -hmm. and established from the cross. So it is essential, male and female. It couldn't be that unless even by nature, it was pointing towards it. So even on a natural level, marriage is a reflection of the inner life of God. This, right. this is the theology of the church. This is why we hold so fast that the theology of marriage cannot change. That's right. Because you start to mess around with the theology of marriage, you mess around with Christology and soteriology, the theology of how we're saved, ecclesiology, the theology of the church, Mariology, the theology of marriage. You, you have to start changing everything because you messed around with the theology of marriage. Marriage isn't just some like institution that, thing. that we, 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 we made up or it's arbitrarily guided by uh, uh, habits or customs or even by the, the, the it, it was willed from the very beginning, yeah. this be fruitful and multiply. And frankly, there can be affective fruit in two men or two women, just like there can be in friends, mm-hmm. but they cannot, as they come together in a sexual way, bear fruit. And I don't damn them for that, but let's not pretend that it is marriage. Our culture has gotten to the place where we are treating it as marriage. And sadly, it seems to me that some within the church are paying more attention to the spirit of the age than they are the spirit of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and we, can, we can either in our daily lives, uh, simple little things that we do as married couples can either support that mission of the church uh, or we can work against it. You know, uh, I, I've I've said in multiple times that the issues we're seeing now with homosexuality, with the transgender thing, that has its roots in contraception. You start to unravel the meaning of the sexual relationship between husband and wife, then you have no legs to stand on for any other sexual expression. And so, uh, normal uh, husband, you know. Joe and Jane, uh, husband and wife in in the parish, um, they, through their uh, own understanding of their marriage and how they live their marriage out, whether or not they allowed contraception, allow contraception into their their wedding uh, bed, uh, it does have an effect uh, down the line on the way that the whole entire culture is going to um, understand marriage. And so we need, there's a reason why the church teaches what she does about marriage. And we need to be faithful to that, even in its difficulties. Well, and, and we're, we're just seeing within the church, we talked a few episodes ago about Our Lady of Akiza and uh, just talking about the fact that there would be battles of cardinals with cardinals. And Mary uh, at Fatima said that the last battle uh, will be about Marriage and the family. Marriage and family. Mm-hmm. And uh, her immaculate heart will triumph. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? The evil one wants us to fret and be concerned and to leave the church. I just want to say for the record, I'm here for the long haul. Yeah. And I will not bless same-sex couples 
as couples. I'll bless them individually, mm-hmm. especially if they're, and I would even say if, if they have an affection for each other and they want to live a life of chastity, I will give them a blessing to that end that mm-hmm. they would be able to disentangle the inappropriate desires and sexuality from their friendship so that they would be friends. I can do that in good conscience, but I cannot bless their relationship mm-hmm. as a relationship because it. all of us know that the, the blessings that they're saying we can now do involved illicit sexual behavior. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we can't bless that. You can't. The church said... Yeah. In 2021, February 22nd, 2021, Cardinal Ladaria, then prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, the church cannot bless sin. And this document says you can't bless sin. Yeah. But you can bless aspects of it that are not sinful. Well, I mean, there's no limit to what we can do with that kind of loophole. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... but. I, I just want to encourage the people to not be afraid, but also not pretend this must be fine. It's not fine. Yeah. It's yeah. not fine. I go back to some advice I heard long ago. There is a sphere of influence that you have in your life and a sphere of concern. Most of us, especially in the day and age of the internet and social media, we spend all our time in our sphere of concern. And the result of that is, your sphere of influence, things that you can actually affect in the world, shrinks. Yeah. But if you spend your time in your sphere of influence and less time in your sphere of concern, your sphere of influence grows. And so you actually can have more an effect on the world. That's exactly and right. God only wants you to take care of your little plot of land. So, uh, and, and, and let's just say, and as you, you pointed out, be salt, light, and leaven yeah. in a world that is desperate for rationality, for truth. For, for truth, for reality. So I would just kind of say, to, I'm not saying to, to, you need to be naive about what's happening in the world, but if you are uh, kind of going crazy, worrying about what's happening in the Vatican or the diocese or whatever the case might be in Colorado, uh, then you're neglecting the plot of land uh, quote unquote that God's given you, yeah, yeah. and so focus on yourself, focus on your spouse, your family, and you do those things well. Then the amount of people that the Lord is going to bring into your sphere will grow, and you can have a greater uh, mission field than you had before. Yeah. But if you spend all of your time on your phone looking at what you know is happening uh, six thousand miles away, you're going to be neglecting those that the Lord has given you. Yep, and and uh, the. The fact is, the Lord foresees all of this, and he's got purposes for it. I, I keep going back to that because it is the thing that helps me navigate these difficult waters. I, I can be eyes wide open and yet not fret. Yeah, do we believe that God is all-powerful or not? Yeah, and, and he's allowing things to bring things to light. Things might get worse before they get better, but our role is to support each other in living the truths of the faith and sharing that good news with other people. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's another episode of Resurrection Life. We've we've wrapped up the year 2023. We're heading into 2024. Yeah, and we'll, <coughs> excuse me, we'll, we'll remember the, the Holy Family this coming Sunday and uh, then uh, Mary, Mother of God mm. uh, on Monday, 
January 1st. A great feast. May you and your families feast, and I hope to see many of you at uh, 12th night. Again, go to our website for uh, RSVPing that you'll be there. We'd love to see you and uh, to enjoy the goodness of God's creation and the incarnation and the hope we have in him. All right, God bless. Around about this time of year that we begin to think of Christmas and what it means. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider what the Incarnation tells us about the humility of God, who was born as a baby in a stable in Bethlehem, and how we can exercise humility in our own lives. The Incarnation Here is a passage from Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In this passage, St. Paul is reminding us of the miracle of the Incarnation, when God became man. It's an amazing fact when you think about the nature of God. God is outside of time. He's pure spirit and he's perfect. And yet when he looked at the way in which humanity had sinned and brought about its own destruction, he didn't shrug his divine shoulders and say, you got what you deserved for your rebellion. He didn't leave us to suffer the consequences for our sin, nor did he turn his back on us or watch us destroy ourselves. Mankind's rejection of God's love did not elicit anger from him, but deep compassion. He knew that our sinful way of life would result in everlasting damnation and ultimately eternal death, and he wanted to save us from that terrible fate and restore us to union with him. But the genius of the Incarnation lies in the fact that, although God wanted to extend salvation to us, He did not descend from the heavenly heights in a cloud of glory and defeat Satan through an act of power. Instead, he chose to be born as a helpless baby in humble circumstances in an obscure country in the Middle East. And from the moment Jesus was born, he was vulnerable. If you remember, Herod was out for his blood as soon as he heard of his birth, and Joseph and Mary had to flee with their newborn and take up residence in a foreign country. Egypt. It was the same story when Jesus began his ministry. He was despised by the authorities who plotted to do away with him. And eventually, of course, their plan worked. But why did God choose to come into the world and to live out his human life in such precarious circumstances? Especially when you consider that many thousands of Jesus' followers wanted to make him king and to give him the highest place of honour in the land. In fact, Jesus many times in the Gospel tells those whom he healed not to tell anyone. He courted obscurity and shunned fame and fortune. Jesus' decision to choose to serve rather than be served, his choice of anonymity rather than fame, and his humble acceptance of his death are telling us something about God and his values. The beneficial effect of Jesus' death and resurrection and the descent of the Holy Spirit are not forced on us. They are a free gift 
an offer only. We still have free will to accept or reject that salvation. If God had chosen the world's way of bringing about the victory over sin and death, the way of power, and compelled us to accept it, he would have had to annihilate our free will, thus making us less than human. Some other dynamic is at work in Jesus' choice of poverty, anonymity and death as the means through which we could be free from the results of our sin. The world would tell us, and does tell us, to live for this life alone, to take whatever we can from life regardless of who is hurt, to become top dog even at the expense of other people, to amass riches, to seek pleasure as much as possible, to avoid pain at all costs, and to hate anyone who gets in our way or hurts us. The lesson of the Incarnation and the message that Jesus taught us throughout his ministry is the exact opposite, that we should humble ourselves, divest ourselves of riches, love our enemies, forgive those who hurt us, seek the narrow path of obscurity, serve other people, and give up everything for an eternal reward. When viewed from a worldly perspective, the message of the Incarnation doesn't make any sense and, in fact, looks like the height of folly. But from the point of view of eternity, what is the value of worldly acclaim, money, pleasure and selfishness? Jesus tells us, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake, for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. So the reason for choosing the narrow way, the way that Jesus chose in his incarnation and in his life here on earth, is not simply to inflict pain and discomfort on ourselves for no good purpose. If we choose his way, he promises us a reward even in this life, even though it will not be without persecution, but especially in the life to come. But how can we explain this paradoxical view of life that would deny us the very thing that everyone strives after? The answer is simple. Love. God has created us out of love. He has created us to love him and to love others. The goal of our life, the intention behind our creation, is to love and to be united with God both in this life and in the next. In St John's first letter we read, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Jesus became a human being out of love for us. He also came to show us an example of how love operates. St Paul describes the action of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
We can never fully understand the reason why God has chosen the humble way in order to show love to us and to show us how to love. It's a mystery. As St. Paul again says in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What we do know is that the way of humility, the way of self-sacrifice and the way of love are the narrow path that we must follow if we are to reach our eternal rest with God forever. This is beautifully summed up in the third chapter of John's Gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This encapsulates the wonderful love of God, who does not condemn us for our sins, but comes to save us. God sent Jesus into the world out of love for us and to show us the path of holiness through humility. Let's pray and ask God for the grace to pursue the narrow way of humility and love, the same way that he did in his incarnation as a man. Lord Jesus, you came into the world as a vulnerable newborn baby to show us that the path to greatness lies in humility, poverty and human weakness if we submit to God's plan. Help us to choose the narrow path to holiness, casting off our worldly attitudes and ambitions and instead following the example that you set for us by becoming a man in humble conditions. Help us to surrender everything to you out of love and receive our heavenly reward as you have promised us. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Robert Suttle, The Nativity of Christ, read by Liz O'Neill. Today we are looking at the poet and martyr Robert Suttle. Note the pronunciation is not as many readers assume Southwell, but Suttle. Robert Southall was born in Norfolk, England in 1561 to a family that, like many other English Catholic families, struggled to remain Catholic in a time of great social unrest and religious persecution. Like several other Catholic families, the Southalls had in fact benefited greatly from Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries. Let's just say it was a complicated era. At age 15, Robert was sent to France to receive a Catholic education. By the age of 17, he was determined to enter the Society of Jesus to join the Jesuits. He was refused entry at first because of his youth and lack of spiritual training, but he wrote a heartfelt and compelling letter which seems to have reversed this decision as we find him in the novitiate the following year. Southall studied in Rome with the Jesuits and received both his bachelor's degree and his ordination in the same year, 1584. At the age of 23, he returned, a priest, to England, intent on supporting Catholics by whatever method he could. Primarily, this was through administering the sacraments, but Southall knew that faith survives or dies in the culture of the lives we build around ourselves. 
So after gaining access to a printing press, he began publishing poems, prose works and pamphlets which were smuggled out to Catholics across the realm. He wrote letters too, begging his close relatives to return to the true faith. He even wrote to the Queen, an humble supplication to Her Majesty, refuting a royal proclamation that Catholics were being imprisoned for political reasons, not for their religion. He described the cruel ways that faithful citizens who were Catholic were being maltreated in prison. For eight years, Southall ministered fearlessly to Catholics, always one step ahead of the authorities, who were increasingly determined to put a stop to his activities. Southall worked tirelessly to reach all who needed him. He knew that one day he would be caught. Finally, while answering what he thought was a request for the sacraments, he was led into a trap and, despite almost escaping, gave himself up to protect the family he was hiding with. Sallow was tortured ruthlessly and at length, but refused to name even one Catholic or, in fact, give any information that might lead to their identification. His steadfastness and calm courage surprised those who witnessed it so much that it was whispered that he might indeed be a saint. For the next three years, he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. He was tortured on many occasions, still refusing to give any information. Finally, Southall was tried and found guilty of high treason. Southall denied the charge or in taking part in any plots to kill the Queen, but simply admitted that he was a Catholic priest. As he was being led to die, he prayed for forgiveness for his sins and quoted from St Paul's letter to the Romans, Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. He died by hanging on February the 21st, 1595. He was canonised by Pope Paul VI in 1970, along with the 40 martyrs of England and Wales, which included St Edmund Campion, St Margaret Clitheroe, St John Fisher and St Thomas More. The poem I will read today is entitled The Nativity of Christ. Note the clever and witty use of paradox and metaphor by all means as you ponder the child in the manger, but do not miss the heart of this poem, the personal gift of God's Son who came to save each and every one of us. The Nativity of Christ by Robert Southall Behold, the Father is his daughter's son. The bird that built the nest is hatched therein. The old of years an hour hath not outrun. Eternal life to live doth now begin. The word is dumb. The mirth of heaven doth weep. Might feeble is, and force doth faintly creep. O dying souls, behold your living spring. O dazzled eyes, behold your son of grace. Dull ears attend what word this word doth bring. Up, heavy hearts, with joy, your joy embrace. From death, from dark, from deafness, from despairs, this life, this light, this word, this joy repairs. Gift better than himself, God doth not know. Gift better than his God, no man can see. This gift doth here the giver given bestow. 
gift to this gift, let each receiver be. God is my gift. Himself he freely gave me. God's gift am I, and none but God shall have me. Man altered was by sin, from man to beast. Beast's food is hay. Hay is all mortal flesh. Now God is flesh and lies in manger pressed as he, the brutus sinner, to refresh. O happy field wherein this fodder grew, whose taste doth us from beasts to men renew. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.